Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you. Good morning, good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you this morning? I'm doing. I'm recovering from our trip. Yeah, we had a little trip this weekend. You know, we usually don't talk about political parties, and we don't talk a whole lot about politics, but, of course, you can't avoid it because, yeah. you know, politicians, again, tend to be our, our nemesis. <laughs> we, yeah. we have to alert people. But this was a little bit different because uh, both of us attended the uh, Libertarian Party convention. And, uh, and there, if anybody knows about it, and I'm, I'm sure some of our audience knows and keeps tabs of it, both positive and negative, but they've, I, I think in a way the party must be maturing. They're having inside fights, you know. Yeah, yeah. Originally when it started, there weren't so few, there weren't any fights. But no, there was at least a contest. I don't even know. We didn't see the fighting. We, we, uh, they were all on their, their best behavior. You know? <laughs> but it was a big deal because, uh, you know, uh, because the party, there was one part of the party was sort of uh, th their personal moral standards, and I don't know whether this is saying something wrong. It was a little bit different than others. Yeah. And so the the Mises Congress, con uh, con uh, Congress was created, and of course uh, I kept tabs on that, and you you were interested in it, which is a good indication that they're going to emphasize Austrian free market economic yeah. and somebody we look up to. So th that was, uh, uh, they were working hard because they thought uh, their faction was stronger than the other. And that's what, that's what happened. Yeah. It showed that the Mises caucus and the attitude they were expressing was superior to the people in charge. And, uh, and, and, and it has changed. So I thought it was a positive weekend. I was glad to have been invited there and uh, I didn't have to get into any squabbles. <laughs> of course, I didn't get into the nitty-gritty squabbles because I wasn't significant enough in the Republican Party, <laughs> you know, as far as the management of the party goes. But uh, so I'm strictly interested in, in the ideas. And this is ideological, too. And uh, you, can't, you can't hide from the fact that the caucus that took over was the Mises caucus, yeah. you know. So anybody who knows about Mises should feel pleased about it. But uh, overall, I thought it was uh, a nice event. There was a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of support for liberty. Yeah, there was. And thanks to our good friend James McMahon, who, who took us out there, took us out to Reno to attend the event. You know, I know you're a modest person, but you gave a barn burner of a speech there that night. And it was an excited, the crowd was very excited. And as you point out, and we can actually, well, I don't want to give it away. We'll, we'll do it in a second. But as you point out, there were a couple of factions fighting. And Michael Heiss, he, he deserves the credit. I mean, it's hard to organize. I'm sure organizing in the LP is like herding cats, you know, <laughs> right. herding cats that I don't know what. So he apparently, and this is according to an article, we'll put up the, the headline now, and I didn't realize this. But what motivated Heist to start the Mises Caucus of the Libertarian Party was his frustration and anger over people like Bill Weld being the top nominees, people who were not by any stretch libertarian. They weren't anti-war. They weren't Austrian. They were nothing, and they were nobodies. Um, and you have people like Sarwark who hated your guts for all these years, uh, Kyle Werner, whatever his name is, who was pro-war. All these people were just holding on to the party and Heist from nothing really created this caucus of young people, people that are getting a little older now who are in the 08 and 12 campaigns of yours and inspired by that. And this kind of coalition now came together and here's the result that we, over the weekend, there was a, the, the big conventions, put up that first clip and we'll see what it was. Reason and Doherty 
Of course, he had to put all of his stuff in there about the negative things about the Mises Caucus. You know, some people say they're bad people. Whatever. Okay. Mises Caucus takes control of the Libertarian Party. Uh, they got their own uh, chairman, chairwoman uh, elected. Um, she gave, I think, a very impressive speech. She looks to be a great organizer. Um, and I think she just struck the right tone. I'm not interested in politics, but I enjoy talking to the people. I know that you enjoyed them. We were well received. Um, our friends Dave Smith, Tom Woods, uh, Scott Horton uh, brought the show together. And I just thought it was uh, a good event. It's nice to see them explicitly embracing the Ron Paul view of war and of economics. And if that makes headway, and if they're able to, you know, to organize properly and to put out a platform that really puts this into play, I think it's something to be interested and exciting you, about. You know, in, a, in some ways, they don't have competition. If you're looking at changing the world, I mean, Republicans and Democrats aren't going to move in this direction. And here there's the uh, so-called split with the libertarians. But now this group that we talk to really have a lot of responsibility, uh, you know, to pursue with the ideological fight. Because, uh, you know, I, I think that's much more important than just the strategy and the money and all these kind of things. So that is where I think... Uh, we're, we're making some progress, and the opportunity um, is just tremendous. I mean, everything is getting really, and sometimes you can use vulgarity, really messed up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's really messed up. Yeah. And uh, so the economy's a mess. Uh, social standards are a mess. COVID was a mess. War is messy. And think about the budget and yeah. the financial thing. You know, well, last night uh, I was t trying to find out if there were any, any friends from my campaigns. So, <laughs> so they, they stole my line before I got there, and it was end the Fed, yeah. end the Fed. Oh, yeah. And it's that, that kind of stuff that is, is important. Uh, so it, it, to me, was uh, very, very exciting. But, you know, this, this is Memorial Day, and, you know, this is a day that uh, people, there will be a lot of flags flying. Yeah. And there, there was a time when uh, I looked at Memorial Day automatically, but uh, early on it was mainly you know, summer has begun. I'm yeah. out of school. Get I'm going to get to, yeah. I'm get, to get to take my shoes and socks off and go barefoot for the rest <laughs> of summer, you know, and go swimming. So that that is uh, that. But but today, and you know, what has it has changed? And there's been some good libertarian writers that have been very very tough and very emphatic about how how ugly uh, this has this has turned because it's uh, what they're really celebrating is militarism yeah. and. Uh, of course, the, the one thing that gets stuck in the middle are the dedicated, well-meaning, uh, pro-American people who are enticed for sometimes just financial reasons. They get it in the Army or the Reserves and all and suffer a, a lot of consequences. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a militarism that is designed, I believe, uh, uh, because it's the biggest in the world and we dominate NATO and all. It's, uh, it's not only, you, you know, the patriotic uh, thing, uh, you know, issue for, the, for, for us in America, but it, it's, it's really the militarism of our empire. And uh, I don't know whether that's over stated or not, but I see that and I think people realize that. So I, I literally weep 
when I see the people who have died and injured and still walk around for, for these wars and then here, here uh, uh, we uh, uh, find that George Bush's heart was never even in it. And he, he's, he's letting the truth out now about exactly what his foreign policy was like. So that to me is sad, but there's no reason. You know, the subject came up during the campaign and it was, well, we have, we can't leave. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, LBJ, when he got in, he says, well, I can't be the president, the first president to lose a war. Uh, we can't. And another one said, we can't save face, Ron. We've got to go in. And, uh, and I said, you know, uh, if, uh, if you and they would use the word, uh, we can't let people have died in vain. If you walk away, they died in vain. And I say, no, there is one way, the only way that I know that I can say that, uh, that the suffering has occurred not in vain, that it wakes people up and they start listening. Do we really have to have a violent interventionist foreign policy that dictates that uh, a president can go to war without even a declaration? Now, that, that to me would be a real, a real success uh, and something to celebrate. And, and we should talk about that on, on uh, Memorial Day just as well as, uh, as blindly praising every bomb we ever dropped and yeah. uh, pretend that uh, we're on the holy side of all the wars. Yeah. Well, let's put up this next clip then because this shows it all really in many ways. And you can go there and I've been to Arlington Cemetery and I, I think it's a very sobering place uh, to go to see so many people that have died in wars needlessly. And you write about Vietnam. I know you've talked a lot about Korea. Um, but every single war from then on, including Iraq and the wasted 20 years in Afghanistan, all the ridiculous less-than-war operations around the world. Each time, the idea is, oh, well, we learned from that one. We learned our lessons from that one. They haven't learned a single lesson because they're just as susceptible to propaganda, as we see, and we'll talk in a second about Ukraine, just as susceptible to propaganda, just as susceptible to the media. Washington is just as susceptible to the lies and the outright criminality of the military-industrial complex and how they capture retired military officers, retired intelligence professionals, and put them on television saying, we got to do this, we got to do that and the other. Haven't learned a darn thing, and it's enough to get a little bit angry on Memorial Day, and we wish that people would, as you say, be more sober. Look yeah. at those graves. Look at these and think of each one of these being a family of people whose, sadly enough, relatives died for absolutely nothing. You know, and... Uh the, 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 the men that have suffered uh, bump into the Americans, and I think many Americans are torn because uh, they're patriotic and uh, they think of World War II and they think of Hitler and all these things, and, and they see it in, in different terms, and they would, uh, I think, have some second thoughts. I think they have second thoughts, and one of the things they do to sort of neutralize that because deep down in their, in their heart, I think a lot of the militancy is saying, you know, why, why have we done that? And you know what I think they use is uh, when they see a person in military, and this is ritualistic, and they even tell you to do it. If you see somebody that is a veteran, or you know he's a veteran, 
thank him for his service. Mm. And it was something that I understood it and I wasn't angry about it, but I was so disappointed thinking that somebody wanting to be very nice and kind to me and represent what America is all about, to thank me for participating and all I could think of. I wonder how many physicals I did. Uh, there was a big move on when I was in the military. A lot of warrant officers from the Army, they couldn't wait you know, to get a helicopter and go yeah. to Vietnam. And I keep thinking, you know, I was in the middle of that. Uh, and I thought, uh, y you know, uh, I, I, don't, I don't feel good about it. I don't feel like I'm a better, better American for this. And, and unfortunately, that, uh, that is the case. So a lot of people, and maybe even now, they're starting to think about it. Hopefully, these, these few indications that uh, some people are getting tired of, <laughs> of Ukraine. Uh, if they could only be changing their mind for good reasons, but we would encourage them to change their mind and look at the right reasons for changing their mind, and they shouldn't feel guilty for changing their mind. They, they should feel good about admitting maybe we went in the wrong direction, but that's what, was, that's what happened. After 20 years, yeah. they, didn't, they wouldn't admit that we shouldn't be. We were, we're still there. I think we have 1,400 soldiers still in Afghanistan. Yeah. So it's interventionism, and it's an unholy thing uh, to do, and then pretend that we're not interested in empire. We're interested in you know, the great American experiment. Yeah, it's always got a noble cause. We're going to support democracy. We're going to support, uh, you know. And the Constitution. And the Constitution. <laughs> you know, as I mentioned in my speech on Friday night at the Mises <clears throat> Caucus, every war is built on a mountain of lies. And if we could just get one point across, they're lying. Everything they say is a lie. Don't believe anything they say, even if it's convincing. But uh, we move on. We, we, we hinted about Ukraine. Let's, let's put on that next clip because... This theme of our next segment really is how the mainstream media itself is now begrudgingly, far, far too late for, for, for our taste, admitting what people like Colonel McGregor, uh, Larry Johnson, and many others with actual military experience have said all along, which is that this war was lost from day one. We can actually keep that up. Was lost from day one. All the propaganda about the plucky Ukrainians and defending their democracy was BS. It was all about selling weapons. It was all about the military-industrial complex. So here we have Stars and Stripes, a very establishment publication, uh, reprinting a Washington Post article, Ukraine suffers on battlefield while pleading for U.S. arms. And this is uh, just one in many headlines. New York Times, I think, had something today. They've had something in the past. Paper after paper now is reporting, even The Guardian is reporting that things are going extremely badly. And in fact, on the uh, ronpaulinstitute.org website, we have an article from our friend Patrick Henningsen who talks about they may be losing Vietnam-level numbers of soldiers in just a couple of months that took us 10 years to lose. So it's a big deal. They're losing big time. But guess what? They're still demanding more U.S. weapons, more U.S. weapons, even for what they're begrudgingly saying a lost cause. And I, I said this in the speech too, Dr. Paul, because they always do this. They did it in the mid-2000s. Well, I guess Iraq wasn't such a great idea, but no one saw that coming. Uh, did you listen to Ron Paul and, and Walter Jones later and, and the others? No, they didn't. Yeah, sad. You know, uh, 
they, they talk about, and you, you have to talk about it to point out what's happening on strategy. Uh, you, you know, the losses that occur on the military strategy, the dollars spent, and these are all the, uh, the results. But uh, then that is important because hopefully that will change people's mind. But the real issue is the avoidance of following the law, which yeah. is the Constitution, which the founders felt very strongly about. And they did not want it to be put into the hands of one, uh, one individual. And, uh, but it is in the hands of one in the individual. I mean, and, and to me, and I wasn't very old when, uh, uh, when Truman uh, made the decision. And he, he made the decision to go into Korea. Uh, and it was right after, I guess, maybe, maybe the Second World War was still in mind. That, well, well, we got to start it. We've got to take care of it. But, uh, uh, you know, he's the one that signed up you know, sign us up. Oh, well, we'll get our authority from the UN resolution. And even Bush in the later years, you know, when people pester him about authority, he even said bluntly, I got my, I don't get authority from you. I get the authority from, uh, from, from the United Nations. So uh, this, this is, and the one thing they'll do be, right now is, is a move more so than ever. And uh, at least it's this. And that is, uh, the ground, American ground troops aren't in there, but they are in there. They're just not getting involved in letting somebody else die for this. So there's been a lot of mistakes, but basically it was the immorality of not following the guidance. Well, the, the first, the guidance of the higher law that says you shouldn't start wars. And the second one is that that's implanted in our Constitution. And, and we, we ignore it, and few people complain about it. And I hopefully... I think there's, there's more now than there used to be, and um, there are days when I think that, you know, the people who are, you know, understanding what we're saying, uh, I think the numbers are growing, yeah, but, but we, we need people <laughs> awakened, but we need them to be awakened to what liberty is all about and what non-intervention means. And when we warned from the beginning, and you did it in several columns, that this was a terrible idea, we shouldn't get involved in this. Of course, you're accused of being a Putin apologist, you're pro-Russia. This is talking points from the Russian playbook, you know, right? So now, belatedly, they have to admit that you were right all along. You don't get any rewards for being right. But the danger is still very, very high. And the second part of that article that we put up just now was they're clamoring for more weapons. And what they want are long-range uh, rocket, uh, artillery rocket launchers, and those are rockets that can penetrate deeply into Russia itself if used in that way. And you say, well, Ukraine wouldn't be that crazy. Kiev wouldn't be that crazy to fire into Moscow. Well, that may not be the case. And depending what, on, on whether or not this is true, and admittedly this is RT, so you have to bring all the biases of RT into it. But let's put up this next clip. And this is disturbing because the U.S. has been sending in uh, some, some pretty heavy artillery already and this is five killed by Ukrainian shelling of schools and residential buildings in Donetsk. And it says Kiev may have used U.S. supplied artillery to attack capital city. Again, it's RT. They have it. They have an agenda. Everyone has an agenda. But I've seen some pictures of this. If this is correct, that they're using our howitzers, which is what is claimed in this, to attack civilians in there, that does bring us closer to war with Russia unnecessarily. It's not going to save any lives for us to get further involved. It's not going to make it go any more quickly to get us more involved. And this cry for these long-range rockets, 
Uh, the danger is still there, Dr. Paul. You know, the PR wouldn't be there, but to make a declaration that the war is already going and uh, NATO started it, uh, that will eventually come out. But this is, uh, if, if they don't admit that, this thing will just continue to go on and on. And you're like, like you say, they're just going to, like, we need more weapons that we, you know, need. And they do if they think they're going to win. But, uh, you, you know, it was, uh, it was the fact, it's the fact that they're, they're, they're not going to win. <laughs> and there's going to be a lot more people die. But uh, I, think, uh, I think you could put up a pretty good moral case and a legal case that we are at war. Because even though our soldiers aren't on the ground, they're the advisors, and it's the American people's money, it's our weapons, it's the military-industrial complex that motivates all the spending. And, and uh, I, I think the, uh, the fact that uh, uh, we have done this, you know, if conditions were such uh, that it was necessary, I think people could make a just cause and say that we are at war. And, and uh, eventually, uh, you know, who knows what the transition will be, but eventually we'll get punished for it, if, not, if we haven't been punished already. Yeah. I think the punishment's ongoing, but I'm talking about when they, when they attack us. Uh, you know, because, uh, you know, the things that we do with sanctions and bombs and all this activity, uh, you know, the American people don't understand what we're really involved in. But the people who are on the receiving end of our policies, I don't think they'll forget quickly. You know, as our friend Caitlin Johnstone, who spoke at one of our conferences a few years ago, she pointed out very well, and I was looking for the tweet and I couldn't find it, so I'll paraphrase it. She was anticipating what those would say about a negotiated settlement, you know, when she's saying, um, uh, well, but if there's a negotiated settlement, then Putin will get to keep all of his spoils. <laughs> and, and her response in the tweet was, oh, okay, well, let's go ahead and keep the war going until the last Ukrainian is dead. You know, like, that's a, that's a better option than maybe trying to save a few lives. Yeah, they never think about the, the other option. Yeah, they yeah. just think about, you know, uh, being the but, you know, the delivery of the option of just uh, why we shouldn't shouldn't give the land to, to the Russians. But like Boris Johnson sitting there now, he's got all of his scandals. He's, he's in deep trouble at home and he's the one cheerleading. Keep going, boys, keep going <laughs> as he's sitting there with his wine and cheese party. So it's a lot easier for him to say that. We know that Raytheon, by the way, over the weekend we talked about this. They just got a contract for 600 and some million dollars because we gave Ukraine all of our <laughs> missiles. And now they're saying, all right. This yeah, they're not stuff. crying, are yeah. they? Oh, this, we're under, we're under b greater threat than yeah. ever. Yes, we are yeah. for our bankruptcy yeah. and the, the, and the uh, attack on our civil liberties here at yeah. home. Uh, Want to move on? If you, yeah, okay. I mean, the drumbeat continues. Uh, okay. We can put the next uh, one up. This, this is interesting because uh, traditionally, as long as I can remember, uh, I, I thought of heritage as, as, as a conservative group and really friendly toward Republicans. Uh, but uh, from a libertarian view, they, were, they had a deep flaw, and yeah. that was that they were hawks, super hawks, and they were subsidized by a lot of military uh, industrial complex companies. But uh, and they've been very uh, they, they have not been bashful about what we should be doing in Ukraine, except now that the attitude is changing. I don't know whether this is because, uh, you know, their side's not doing well and they're they're sort of backing away. But anyway, uh, the, the article from Zero Hedge says historically hawkish heritage hits the brakes 
on Ukraine aid. I mean, up until now, it was more and more aid, and they had clout because it was Republican too. And uh, but it would be interesting to see how you know the hawkish Republicans will handle uh, ha handle heritage. Uh, but heritage has carved out a little spot for them for a while. Uh, oh, we're not changing our position of joining those non-interventionists. No. We still want to do that, but we better be cautious because this might get out of hand, and it costs a lot of money because yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're fiscal concerns. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> well, this is where you know Rand Paul, Thomas Massey, and all the other ones who voted against this aid, they took some hard body blows on the days of those uh, votes, hard ones. But eventually, as with the Ron Paul, Dr. No votes, eventually they will be proven right, and we're seeing it unfold before our eyes, when even Heritage, funded by the war machine, realizes it's too politically risky to keep cheerleading for this war. And let's put that zero hedge headline up. Uh, let's go back one, please, if we can. There we go. Historically hawkish, Heritage hits the brakes on Ukraine. And here's what Heritage wrote. And if you, uh, if you remember, Dr. Paul, they did have to change their uh, top leadership at Heritage. And I don't know if this reflects that change in leadership. Uh, and if so, then we should be cautiously optimistic. Um, but here's what they said in a statement in May when these bills were up. This proposed Ukraine age package takes money away from the priorities of the American people and recklessly sends our taxpayer dollars to a foreign nation without any accountability. That's a reference to Rand Paul's view. America is struggling with record-setting inflation, debt, a porous border crime, and energy depletion, yet progressives in Washington are prioritizing a $40 billion age package to Ukraine. This is political. The statement is political. And in a sense, I'm happy to hear it because what they're trying to do is hint, 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 Republicans, you're on the verge of doing really well and we are a Republican think tank. If you would stop this cheerleading and realize this is a political albatross on the neck of the Democrats, use this for the campaign in November and you will have success. I think that's what they're trying to frame by putting it this way. We happen to agree with it and we'll take a, a, a win wherever we can get it, but you know, we have to think about how stupid the Republicans were to do the Me Too on all of this spending. I wonder if you could make a comparison to the problems that the uh, Liberal Democrats have faced, because uh, they thought it was, oh, just great. You know, the country's falling apart with lawlessness and killing and our streets and, you know, burning down. And uh, what, are the, what are the Democrats propose? Defund the police. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that hasn't gone over so well. You know, sometimes people want to have a policeman out there uh, calming things down. But in a way, they had they've had to back off from that a little bit. I mean, not that they're they're going to they're not going to change their philosophy, but they it finally became so stupid. And that's a, maybe a little bit of this is going on to to have to go out and campaign. Maybe maybe there'll be some uh, good people looking at an anti-war position, but it's not going to come from the progressive Democrats. Yeah. And we need more, uh, you know, people if you're going to see more change. I think it's going to be more practical to have uh, uh, more libertarian types, uh, you, you know, working in the Republican. Republican Party to try to change them because it's so disappointing about what the progressives have had morphed into. Yeah, you know, Bernie Sanders, for example, had such a reputation. He's pro Bukali, he's for the working people, working class. Well, he marched down that aisle and voted to send $40 billion of the working class money 
over to Ukraine to buy war weapons. So you're right, it's an incredible opportunity for Republicans. And trust me, we're not pro-Republicans, but it's a great opportunity for them to redefine their message. And I think the zeitgeist is moving in our direction. Redefine your message against these ridiculous military adventures. Maybe we're just... Maybe we're just, I don't know, sniffing glue over here or something. Yeah. But let's, go to, let's skip over and go to our last topic because we're running a little bit long here. It's probably my fault, Dr. Paul. But um, this is about sanctions. Sanctions, we've talked about it. You've talked about it for a lot of years. They don't seem to work that well. Sometimes they backfire. Let's put up this one about oil. Here we go. This is uh, from oilprice.com via Zero Hedge. Russia sends record volumes of oil <laughs> to India and China. You, you talk about things backfiring on them. You know, in, in a way, there's no real capitalists out there, you know, believing in the, in the free market. But some of the things are more capitalistic and, are more, and the others are more socialistic. But here we're, we're doing these things that so often all this spending of money and printing of money and doing these things is more socialistic. And then you take a country like Russia, and of course we like to paint them as, you know, uh, you know the communists and you can't trust them at all, and, and the Chinese as well. As far as, uh, as, uh, as running their financial thing, they tend to um, earn money right now, especially. All this stuff about trying to destroy Russia, they're coming up more, making more money. And they, well, at the cost of whom? Our, <laughs> our consumers. You know, they should say, what, how, what are you paying for gasoline? Oh, some places $6, a gallon. So it's, it is really just crazy. But right now, I'm going to say, wish the American people would wake up. But I'm now I'm going to say, the pe American people are waking up. They're getting sick and tired of this. And maybe they'll speak out and find the right kind of people to support in the election. Well, the irony is all these sanctions on Russia, as you say, they've driven the price of oil through the roof, natural gas through the roof. Literally, the U.S. and the EU are financing the Russian war against Ukraine. <laughs> They're right. literally financing the war. I mean, how's that for unintended consequences. Maybe, maybe Putin's playbook is penetrating deeper, you know, in, but it's just amazing. Germany, for example, and most in all of Europe, committed economic suicide for two years during COVID. They literally shot themselves in the head, destroying their economy. And now this comes around and Biden and his lackeys say, hey, we want you to do some more. Kill yourself a little more. And they say, okay, let's do some of that. Let's destroy the economy. And there's really only they cut one, off the pipeline, cut off the pipeline, <laughs> cut off your hand, everything. There's only one country, and it was my home through the 1990s, Hungary, that has a, 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 on very many issues a great um, a political leadership right now. They said no. And he said, this is the equivalent of an atomic weapon going off in our economy if we cut off all this oil from Russia, and we're just not going to do it. And on these issues, it requires unanimity uh, among EU members, and Hungary has held fast. And you can bet. There are a lot of arm twisting, a lot of knives in the back for Orban and his, and his government. But they have, to their credit to this point, said, no, we are not going to back down from this. It's just not going to happen. And so that gives a little bit of life uh, left to Europe. But that's, you know, no credit to the, to the leaders of the EU. You know, all, all that we're talking about now is not propping up the ultimate value of the dollar. And it's a challenge to the dollar being the reserve currency of the world. And just recently, the, the Russians and the Chinese, you know, were uh, 
a quite quite rate rate to have an exchange. They didn't use dollars. They wouldn't use dollars because we wouldn't let them. Yeah. And uh, the ruble is not quite that acceptable. They could have done it, but I think they wanted to make a point. So you know what they did? They they used a gold as a measurement, and they you oh, that now that's. That's really rocking the boat. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't mess around with, with a government fiat currency. But uh, I, I think this uh, that might be one of the net values that will come out of this uh, is, you know, uh, dethroning the dollar and actually uh, we getting more interested in sound currency. And, of course, you could relate that to that little function we went to over the, over the weekend yeah. because certainly the Mises caucus at the Libertarian Party would understand something about sound money. Yeah, you would hope so for sure. Well, I'm going to close out. I'm going to close, first of all, with a quote. Uh, from a from a Telegram uh, post that I follow, and I, I've gone more toward Telegram than Twitter because Twitter just keeps banning people. But this, I think, Americans that are still drunk on war propaganda should take this on board. And it's a great quote, and I don't remember exactly who posted it, but it's worth it's worth thinking about. And this is all facts. Ukraine has not captured or retaken any strategic territory from Russian troops. This comes at a cost of nearly half of the U.S.'s stock of anti-tank missiles and billions of dollars worth of financial aid, mercenaries, 24-7 intel from NATO, and support by literally the entire EU and NATO. Reality is starting to kick in. Despite all of this, they're finally admitting now that it was a losing cause for everyone but the people who profit from it. And finally, just put up our, our link. This is the last week. We're selling a few more tickets, but our... Um, Conference is coming on Saturday, Dr. Paul. We've got to think of something good to say. <laughs> we shouldn't have any problems. The Biden Doctrine, New World Order, or Nuclear Armageddon, Houston, June 4th. There are still tickets, and there are going to be tickets available. We did something different this time. Uh, we've got a big old room, and anyone who wants to come can come. So go to ronpaulinstitute.org, and you can still get some tickets if you're in the area and you want to go. The other thing, Dr. Paul, and I'm going to, I'll put this in... Uh, the description too, and I sent out an update over the weekend. We have our date for the Washington D.C. conference. It's a big deal. It's going to be uh, September 3rd. It's on Labor Day weekend, the Saturday of Labor Day weekend in Washington D.C. We've already got a couple of confirmed speakers. I'm really happy about uh, that. The title of the conference is Anatomy of a Police State. So much to talk about on this topic too. We'll have tickets on sale soon, but just mark that in your calendars. September 3rd, Washington, D.C. It's going to be a great conference. You know, you mentioned the fact that um, the uh, Ukrainians are coming and they, they want more weapons. They want more money and more weapons, and it's ongoing. But I think weapons are very, very important in war. There's no doubt about it. But sometimes I think... Uh, confidence in weapons, whoever has the most weapons will always win the war, is just not true. When you think of the uh, British Empire in 1776, they were pretty powerful, and uh, the American colonists weren't very powerful, but the issue was a little bit more than who had the best whip weapons, and there, there was a, a moral argument going on on living in a free country and a free society, 
And uh, amazingly, uh, uh, you know, the war ended where the people with the most weapons didn't win the war. And uh, in, in a way, this is happening right now. They're, they're, they're claiming that it's, the only thing they can save the Ukrainians now is weapons. Well, may, they just might not be on the right side. Maybe, maybe NATO isn't a trustworthy ally, you know, I, I think be, because they, they, they can bankrupt the many, you know, like you pointed out about the economy of the Europeans and all. They're getting poorer and poorer, so they're not going to have wealth forever. So this is going to continue, but uh, th there's a different different war going on, and it's called the moral high ground, and who's, who, who's uh, defending the homeland. Big issues there, and that, that determines a whole lot. But uh, a lot of times when the, the foreign people get involved and come in with their weapons and their promises and be involved, I, I just don't think it's natural for the people to forever accept the interference of an empire coming 6,000 miles away from, from uh, their home and getting involved in internal affairs. And you, you'd think that the Euro Europeans would wake up to, why, why can't we, why can't we work a little bit better with, uh, with Russia? You know, uh, it would have been better off, uh, from, from our viewpoint, it would have been better off for the Europeans, uh, but that isn't the case. But uh, we do believe, I strongly endorse the idea that in spite of its imperfection, non-intervention is a great tool because it fits into the principles of liberty that we should not be initiation force and violence against other, other individuals or other, other country and that free trade and free movement of people is what the founders wanted and argued the case that the more products and, and uh, commerce uh, spread among the states and the countries of the world, the less likely there would be a war. And right now they keep saying, well, none of our soldiers uh, are dying in Ukraine. But we might say, how many people are hungrier tonight in America because of the war that's going on? And how much will come? Things are not going to get better. This is not transitory. This is well ingrained. And there's a climactic end coming to this because uh, we can't just print more money. And even the money managers are talking about it. Too. We just can't keep printing this money. That's a sign that uh, this has to end and they don't have a solution because the answer is, is understanding what true liberty is all about and what it's like to have a sound monetary system. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.